Welcome to Conversations with Marcia. Thank you for tuning into this podcast that is for everything to do with health, mindset, and career. I went from an overworked to unemployed, then overworked and underpaid to employee, to the CEO of my own online coaching business and body scrubs, and now a thriving tech with way less stress and a whole lot more blessings. And I'm here to show you how you can level up in your life. So today I'm actually excited because I have a guest with me, an amazing author who has just come out and she's just released a fantastic book. And I believe you should actually all get it, especially if you're an African child and have grown up, you know, in in Africa and also in the diaspora. So today with me is Florence Olajide. Good morning, Florence. Good morning. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for joining me on uh, Conversations with Marcia. So we'll just get straight into it. And I hope you're doing great well. I am. And thank you very much for having me today. Thank you so much. So the first question I'll ask, first and foremost, tell us about Florence. Give the the listeners and your readers a background of who you are and how you got to today. I'm Florence Alajide, and I consider myself a British Nigerian. I was Mm -hmm. born in England in the 1960s and I spent the first six years of my life um, growing up in a white, with a white foster family whom my parents paid privately for the arrangement. And then when I was about six, my parents finished their studies in the UK and um, returned with me and my siblings to Nigeria, where I had some significant challenges fitting into the different cultural expectations. And for many years, I was kind of driven by a great need and desire to make my way back to the United Kingdom. And um, it's one thing to dream and plan, but life often has other plans for you, which is what happened in my case. And I didn't actually really come back to live in the UK until I was in my twenties, my mid twenties. And then the homecoming wasn't quite the, the homecoming I'd expected. There were lots of challenges on the way in terms of fitting in and adapting into what was essentially a new culture because I hadn't lived in the UK since I was six. So there were challenges in terms of fitting in there and sort of raising my family at the same time and having a career, which I'd like to think I've managed relatively well. But the main theme of my memoir has been the conflicts that I faced in terms of adapting in either of those cultures in my life, Yoruba culture, which was my parents' culture from Nigeria and West Africa, and British culture, both of which are extreme opposite ends of a spectrum. And in the midst of all that, trying to figure out who I was and how I could live a life where I wasn't being torn apart by by those different cultures, Profession-wise, I, I am an educator. I've had many different roles under that umbrella. I was a teacher first, and then I was a head teacher. Um, that's what we call principals in the United Kingdom. 
and I later on became a school inspector. I was appointed by Her Majesty the Queen as one of her inspectors of schools. And lately I've been working as an improvement advisor and someone who helps um, other head teacher colleagues to improve their schools. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. My children are now sort of grown up and I've got two granddaughters that I dote on. Oh, that's awesome. That's you know, <laughs> that is actually awesome to hear. Congratulations on the two granddaughters. Thank you. Um, yes. So actually, like on your blog, um, you do mention that one of your fun facts is that you traveled to five out of the seven continents. And um, I'm curious to know which countries, actually, I know which countries, some of the countries was you do mention it in your book, but which countries did you visit? And of those, which one was actually your favorite? Right. I think that my favorite country has been Trinidad and Tobago. Hmm. It's just been an interesting, I've visited it now, I think twice. And I just, love the laid back island kind of vibe that you get from Trinidadians and they're a, a mixed society that works mm -hmm. and in many ways it makes me think of a country that's to some degree I'm sure they've got their own political issues like every other country has but on the whole as a youngish country in terms of its history, I found it was a place that, that worked. And I just enjoyed being there and the people were really, really friendly and welcoming. Um, so that would be my favorite country. Um, uh -huh. Canada I like. Again, Canada I visited several times. Um, and again, I suppose it's because in many ways they're laid back as well. Um, and they've got so much land <laughs> so that you kind of get that that sense of spaciousness which for some reason I really really like and I have contemplated the idea of living in Canada but the cold that's what gets me and no, I'm not sure that my these aching bones can tolerate that level of cold so that's why I'm probably not living in Canada yet I have been to Russia, which I thought was fascinating, particularly really? in terms of their history. <laughs> Wherever I go, I like to sort of get a little bit into the history of the country. I've been to Malaysia, mm -hmm. and again, I enjoyed Malaysia very much. Um, and yes, I, I really, really enjoyed Malaysia. Again, getting an insight into the people, their friendliness. I'm fascinated about how they run their country because Malaysia is made up of, I suppose, what you could term mini kingdoms. And the head of, whether you call them kingdoms or states, but the head of each of those units yeah. takes it in turn to be the head of the country, which I think is a fascinating model. That's interesting. So, yeah, those are, I've been to many mm. countries in Europe. Um, Sweden, Estonia, most of the countries in Western Europe. Wow. So 
Germany, France, Holland, Belgium. Lord, I want to visit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been to Japan as well. That's another interesting one. Which I, again, fascinated by the culture. Uh, Japan was a surreal experience for me because I went, I went many, many years ago. Um, I'm, I'm talking about uh, tw 25 years or more ago. And oh, wow. I um, was visiting friends who, who were white British and both of them are six foot tall. And then there's tiny me, just barely five foot one. And as we, as we made our way around Tokyo on the sub, um, their, their, their train system on, on the subway, people couldn't help but stare because for starters, I was always the only black person on the train. Uh, and I was, and, and then they were almost always the only white people on the train. <laughs> and it was just such a, a shock, I think, for a lot of them. So that was an interesting experience. But again, like all my travels around the world, uh, I enjoyed it. I really do enjoy traveling. Been to Singapore as well. Um, and then I'm obviously the United States, many different parts of the United States, several of the states I've visited. Mm -hmm. And I even made it to Hawaii once. Oh, wow. How was that? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was... It was nice, it was hot and sunny, you know, the beaches and the people were great and welcoming to tourists. Mm -hmm. But in many ways, it was another American city. Uh, that is, but that's amazing. Cause I know um, Hawaii, I mean, Hawaii has been known to be like the paradise. So it's, yeah. so I, that's why I was asking because, you know, I've never been there, so just, through, through your eyes, it'll be nice to see it. I think uh, for me, it's the cultural experiences that make my travels interesting. And I love getting to know people, their dances, mm -hmm. a little bit of their history, where they've come from in terms of the origins of the people. You know, they kind of believe that at some point they would have migrated from some of the Polynesian islands into to Hawaii. Um, so all of that really gets me. And I sort of just like immersing myself in that. Um, because it's Hawaii and because it is a tourist destination, um, there, there's a lot of hype. And I think sometimes you can build yeah. that hype up so much that when the reality doesn't quite meet the expectation because you do romanticize Hawaii. And I remember as, as a teenager reading Mills and Boons and Hawaii seems to be that perfect destination where you fall in love and you know yeah. all is well after. Um, <laughs> and having traveled as widely as I have, Hawaii was, was really just another city, but you know, wow. one that's an island with an island feel to it. So, so I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed most of the other cities I've been into. So that's interesting. That is very, very interesting. So now we will go into the book and mm -hmm. like, tell us about what is, what is Coconut about? Tell us a little more like about the book and what we can expect when we read it. The book charts my earliest memories from when I was 
around the age of four going into five when I was first living with my foster mother and when I first became aware of this sense of being different as a black child living in a white family in a, an essentially white neighborhood. And he charts that journey from there to Africa where I meet my relatives for the first time in an alien culture where I don't speak the language and I don't understand the cultural expectations. And the challenges I faced all the way through my teenage years, um, and some of that included poverty as well as some physical difficulties um, through to my early twenties where I meet my husband, I fall in love, we get married, and I still continue to struggle in terms of my interactions with my culture until I make my way back to the United Kingdom. So the, it, it's a journey over a period of time that kind of shows how I go from struggling to fit to an acceptance that actually I'm not one thing or the other. I'm a combination of many different things all at once. And that's okay, it's all right to be that way. And finally coming to that self-acceptance that this is who I am. But also going beyond that to realizing that there were a lot of other people who were working the same journey or at least a similar journey and who perhaps were dealing with the same questions I had to deal with when I was young particularly young people who were in my care and therefore supporting them and their parents through that journey. So I think that would be what you would expect to see um, and, and, and to read about. And, and I, people tell me that there are some moments of humor, but I suppose there are also some moments of horror um, mm. interspersed, but then that is life. You know, life is full of ups and downs. So I think that's probably what you would get to read about without giving too much away. <laughs> actually, um, this this actually when I was reading, um, you used a lot of used a lot of proverbs mm -hmm. to to you know to to describe certain situations or somebody like for example, Mama would say to you, you know, um, where is it? Like basically, yeah, um, for me, I think I, I've come to the conclusion actually in many ways that the, the proverbs in a culture give you a very big clue as to how that culture thinks and how that culture works. And Yoruba's at the risk of giving you another <laughs> proverb, often say that you only need to use half of the words necessary to speak to a good kid. Mm. 
Um, and, and Europe was really, really good at, you know, throwing those proverbs in to kind of summarize what they're trying to say rather than say everything. And they, then they'll That's repeat true. those proverbs. So you kind of grow up with them and they, they come to symbolize something and come to mean something. And it was, for me, it was fascinating because of course, as a grown up, I, I do use those proverbs a lot, which just shows you how Yoruba I am, <laughs> even through that phase <laughs> of life where I was kind of denying that aspect of my identity. And those proverbs uh -huh. are rich and um, in many ways, they, they make sense. I suppose in many ways they're metaphors um, that people are supposed to make meaning of as they live their lives. And I suspect, as you said, that many other African countries and indeed non-African countries um, would have proverbs within their cultures which signpost the values of those cultures and what's important to, to those people and helps you That's to make sense true. of them. That's very true. That's very, very true. And then, uh, once again, in your blog, you do mention that the book took 15 years to complete. What was that process like? How did having to deal with the sudden shutdown of the world help with, you know, getting your mind into that of finally, you know, let me get the book done? When I first started writing, I'd just come back from a trip to Brazil with a good friend of mine. And she had some similarities in her background. We, we shared some similarities. Uh, our stories are completely different, but there, there was that element of her being born here, going back to Nigeria, struggling with that, and then making her way back to England as well, although she was never fostered privately. And as we swapped stories about our lives and things that happened, I remember her saying, you really should write about that. And there are other people who'd mentioned that in the past, I'd, I'd find myself, particularly in, rela in relation to work, I'd find myself in environments where I was the only black person or the only professional black person. Uh -huh. And often people, out of curiosity, would say things like, uh, how did you get here? That, I mean, I heard that question so many times in my life. <laughs> how did you get to be in this position? You know, we don't see people like you in this role. How did you get to be here? And I'd tell them a little bit about my background because, I mean, how else do you answer the question? I just, you know, walked through life like you did and I got here. Um, and again, they would sort of say things like, well, that's really interesting, you should write about it. So I remember getting back from Brazil and that was the first time I started writing, that was 2005. Mm. Now, as a head teacher, life is extremely busy and as an inspector, it was no less busy. And what I tended to do was, I found out very early that I cannot do life and write, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> when I write, I immerse myself completely into my writing. It absorbs everything, every moment. All I do is eat, sleep, and write. Um, I, have to, I have to close everything else out. So the only times I could really do that was during school breaks, school holidays. But the nature of being a head or being an inspector is that during those holidays, you really are exhausted and you're just really trying to catch your breath. So I'll spend the first few days of a holiday sort of recovering from work. Then I'd get into the book. By then I would have forgotten everything I'd written before. 
So I'd have to read over everything to avoid repetition. And then I'd start writing and I'd probably get through a page or two and the holidays would be over. So I repeated mm. that cycle year after year after year. Then in 2018, my daughter encouraged me to submit parts, a, a, a subsection of the book um, to a publishers competition in the UK for minority voices. And out of, I think, um, 1,500 people, they chose 150 and gave us a free workshop. And at that workshop, they encouraged me to keep on writing, told me that there was a good story to be told there. And they told me all the things they liked about my writing and all the things they didn't. Um, what they didn't tell me was how to fix what they didn't like about my writing. So I um, started working with the writing coach and gradually I improved my writing um, so that um, I was now working more consistently because that process was me writing the chapters, submitting it, uh, getting feedback, rewriting, and, and I went back to the earlier chapters and did lots of rewrites based on the feedback that I was getting from my mentor. And then the pandemic happened. And all of a sudden, I, I, there was no work for me. My work literally dried up and disappeared overnight. And so for the first time in 15 years, I had the opportunity to do nothing but eat, sleep, and write. And that's exactly what I did. And I literally wrote nonstop all the way through to, I think, June 2020 and around the same time I think Black Lives Matters happened with um, the death the sad death of George, George Floyd, Floyd. Yeah. and I think that shifted things in the publishing industry certainly in the UK because I think lots of mm. organizations started to realize that in reality their, their representation of the, the ethnic mix of the people in the United Kingdom was not right. And I think that opened doors that before then had been closed. And in a sense, that's what created the opportunities for me to attract the attention of a publisher. And that's how Coconut got published. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty... That's quite a story, especially since uh, with everything that happened in 2020, I think, you know, that was, that was an amazing door for, of opportunity for you. Yeah. And, and because of that, how was, you know, how was the response or the support for you and the book itself since then, or since you've published it? I, I can say that that the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Obviously, anything in life, there are going to be people who love it and there are going to be people who detest it. And I think there, are, there have been people who have not warmed to it, but that's perfectly normal and perfectly okay. Um, the vast majority of people who've read it have said it's resonated with them. And I've had people who've come back to me who, who are white British, who've said, even though I'm white, there are aspects in this that I can relate to. 
Uh, and that's been great. And then I've had people who've reached out to me who had similar experiences as a child, some not as positive as mine, some more difficult than mine, who said, you know, it, it's really, re you know, it's like reading my story. Thank you for writing that. So it, it's been a fascinating few months since publishing it. Um, but for the most part, people have resonated with it. People are still reaching out even now. People who have grandchildren who have dual heritage, who are struggling with identity issues, um, have reached out. So, um, and, I, and I just respond as best as I can with what I know to, to help where, and sometimes it's just a response saying, well, thank you for reaching out and I hear you. But it's, it's been a really positive experience. And I have to say, I was, I was scared of what the response to it might be because I know that the title is provocative. Yes, that's very true. That's very, very true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, whilst writing it, whilst writing Coconut, mm. I think you've cut out again, Marcia. I've, I've cut out again. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay. I was, sorry, I was saying, what surprising things did you learn whilst writing the book? What surprising things did I learn? I think I became even more aware that I have lived most of my life suppressing emotion. Hmm. And I think it's just my coping mechanism. Um, I'm a kind of whatever, let's get on, let's get it done, let's do it, let's go kind of person. Um, and I think I, I, it, was, it was the hardest thing that I've ever done in terms of actually getting those emotions out and down on paper and, and I know um, one, one, one review of the book sort of said oh it wasn't emotional enough for me or something to that effect and, and I had to laugh because I thought well <laughs> you should have seen my first draft <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think for me that it that's what I learned most, that I, I, I suppress a lot of emotions. It was my way of sort of saying, OK, I can't deal with this, so let's put it aside and let's just, let's just move on. And so the, the funniest thing that happened was when I, when I did my first read from beginning to end, to have, after I'd kind of finished the last chapter, and then I started my own personal editing, and I went back to the beginning, and I read from the beginning to the end. When I finished reading the last sentence, I burst into tears. And I had no idea why. And that happened three times. And I still couldn't put my finger on why I was crying. So I came to the conclusion that all the crying I should have done all my life was now coming was, out right at the end. I'm over it now. Like it was done. <laughs> like, it, like it was done. Like it yes. was finished. Yeah. So that that yeah. was that was a, that was an interesting experience. I think for me, that's probably the most thing I've learned about myself. 
So now this is for this is for aspiring writers. Did you come across any specific challenges when writing coconut? What advice would you give an aspiring writer? And what would you have done differently if you needed to do anything differently? Um, I'm not sure I would have done anything differently, but in terms of challenges that I came across, um, I talked about having to, to work with a writing coach. And I think that when, when you write and you pour yourself out into paper, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, what you've produced is part of you. And it's very hard not to be precious about it. But you have to put that aside if you want to get feedback that is going to really improve your writing. And I, I remember the first few, I'm, I'm, I'm a competitive person. And when I do stuff, I like to do it very, very well. Uh, I, I like to give the best of me always. And that's just part of who I am. So my goal is to, you know, to produce the best piece of writing that, you know, people would say, okay, that's a good piece of writing. And so that happens, I'm not happy. And I was producing this stuff for my, writing coach and she was sending me back saying nah <laughs> that's not good enough that needs to improve that needs to improve try doing it this way that was hard for me um and I guess if you're a personality like mine or you're precious about your writing then that could be a challenge so you've you've got to be able to to let that go and be willing to let other people help you improve yourself and not feel arrogant about it or that, you know, this is my piece of work. What do you know about it? Um, and sometimes that feedback can be misplaced. Sometimes that feedback isn't right for you. I, I did not take, you know, every piece of, there were times when my mentor would say, well, you know, what about this area? And I'd go, no, that bit is important. Yeah, I can see what you mean and I can see I can improve it, but that bit stays because so I didn't lose myself, I didn't lose my identity in, in, in that process, but I really did have to step outside of myself and see it from somebody else's eyes. And that's the only way I think to really improve your craft. And other writers that I know talk about this, that getting as many people as possible to read your work and to give you feedback, even if they're lay people, because after all the people going to read and buy your book are lay people and their opinion is what counts. So I did, let loads of people read different sections, different parts, the whole section um, outside of the normal editing process before I even submitted it. And that I think really helped. Yes, I was saying, tell us an interesting fun fact about coconut. An interesting fun fact. I am not sure there's an interesting fun fact in there. Um, Hmm, an interesting question in its own right. What's, what's funny about this? I'm not sure I can think of one at the moment. <laughs> it's probably not what you want to hear, but I'm not sure there's an interesting fun fact about it. Okay, and um, okay, something, okay, is there anything that stands out or something that would um, be of interest about, you know, something, 
about coconut yeah <laughs> Do you mean about the stories in the book or about the process of writing the book? Um, I think more of the stories in the book, Indeed. just even just one, yeah. I suppose you're sort of thinking, I'm not sure that I would say it's a fun fact per se. I think probably if I was going to pick something, it would be what happened to me at my first um, week at university. Because I went to university when I was 15. So I, I started in September and I didn't clock 16 on till November. And I had missed the induction week and the orientation week. So I had um, no idea of how a university environment worked. And my parents dropped me up with, dropped me off with um, two suitcases and I waved them goodbye and I went into my dormitory. And the, the, the following day I, I woke up, got myself dressed. I went to the dining room, had my meals, came back to my room, potted around, read, slept and went out to have lunch, dinner, and returned to my dorm. And I did that, um, I think, for about three days before it suddenly occurred to me that, hang on a minute, <laughs> I'm in a university, I should be learning something, not just sleeping. <laughs> and <laughs> at that point, I just, um, it, it was just, I think, the naivety of being 15, not knowing what the expectations were, having spent almost all my life up until that point being told what to do by grown-ups and suddenly there was no one there to tell you what to do. So the first time I had to act grown-up and I had to go and find out how the university worked, how did I get to classes, how did I get to lectures and I went asking questions. So yeah I think that was that was a that was an interesting fun fact. Okay. Um, so I was saying, so what's next for you? What are you working on? At the moment, I am thinking, I've got quite a few ideas floating in my head at the moment. I'm hoping to write something um, for children about Black history, because in the UK, oh. there is a dearth of um, books and information about Black historical characters, and there, there are hundreds of them out there that um, who, who've been lost to history. Well, not not completely lost. They're out there. It's just that they're not collated in a format that children can access easily. So I'd like to to do something around that. And I'm also considering writing something about um, my experiences uh, as a parent and parenting children across multiple cultures. Um, so I've got those two at the back of my mind at the moment. Okay. And actually we need, we actually do need more uh, lessons, more books, more, just more education on, on our history. One, two, being able to blend two cultures and, and you know, just becoming, knowing who we are, outside mm. of 
you know, I'm from this country versus this is the country that I've adopted and being able to, to just mold ourselves into those type of people or who we want to be. Taking the best parts of who we are to become, you know, who we want to be, I think, if that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And the final one, mm -hmm. um, where can your listeners find you on social media? How can they support you and your work? Um, I can be found on Twitter at, um, at Florence Olajide. I am also on Instagram and that's flora.jide. So F-L-O-R-A dot J-I-D-E. Um, on Facebook, I am Florence Olajide author. And you can also go to my website, Florence Olajide. Dot com. So any of those are ways in which you can reach out and I promise I always reply to people who reach out to me because I think it's great hearing from people who've read my story, even if they don't necessarily like it. <laughs> <laughs> Completely makes sense. So... Okay, so thank you so much, Florence, for today. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I will, yes. Yes, and I'll make sure that I put um, the links in the description box below so that everybody's able to easily find you as well, just in case they, you know, they didn't hear you or they didn't understand, um, you know, what was said. So... Mm -hmm. Yes, so hopefully we'll speak soon and we'll make sure that we keep in touch. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate you having me on your channel. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's it, guys. So make sure you go and check out Coconut by Florence Olajide. You will find her, as she said, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and her website. And I'll make sure you, I put the link down below so that you're able to catch her. Make sure you communicate with her so that she gets all the amazing feedback from you and make sure you buy the book. Otherwise, that's all from me and see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>